0: I'd like to welcome Derek, Luke, and Jen, all from the Ghost Feeder camp, to the show.
1: Hello. Hi. Hello.
0: And if you'd like to introduce yourself and tell us what you do.
2: I'm Derek, and I do the programming and vocals for Ghost Feeder. I'm Luke, and i
0: play guitar. And I'm Jen, and I'm the crew. And So we'll go ahead and start with the questions. Who is Ghost Feeder? In whatever sense you want to take that, go with it.
2: I guess that its core... I would be Ghostfeeder, but as far as our live entity goes, Ghost Feeder is, is the name of the band.
0: So primarily the programming and the writing is done by you, Derek? Yeah,
2: primarily at this point, yes.
1: Okay. the head of the monster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Given that Derek is the man behind the concept and, and essentially the writing process, we would say that there are two aspects to Ghost Feeder. The writing aspect and then the performing aspect.
1: Yes, yeah, that's fair to say.
0: Okay. And your interpretation or your creation of Ghost Feeder, what is Ghost Feeder?
2: Really, Ghost Feeder is whatever we make it. I, I think to what I would say is our bio and our Facebook and all that stuff that says Ghost Feeder in the studio is, is me. The live the live interpretation of that music is made up of the guys in the band
0: I guess what my question really is trying to dig into is when you decided to create Ghostfeeder what was it? What was it to you? What is it to you now
1: okay feeder
2: began kind of as the result of not being able to find anybody who wanted to make the same kind of music that I did. It seemed like any time I looked at any classifieds or Craigslist or anything like that, I couldn't find people with the same interests or the people with the same interests weren't motivated or they wouldn't respond or they just weren't serious about anything. So I just kind of took matters into my own hands and decided to make something on my own without any without any expectation of performing it live or doing anything like that. It kind of just stemmed from me needing a musical outlet, but not finding anybody to jam with.
0: That's actually, I think, a very common occurrence with musicians. Probably. I've read every interview I could find. I've listened to every interview I could find. I couldn't find the most recent one. But that,
2: must taken, that must have taken you minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, I really like to scour and be prepared. So I don't want you to feel like you're answering the same old question posed the same way. What's the point of doing another interview if you're not going to find out new information?
3: Yeah, that's good. Your questions are good feeling. Thank you.
0: To expand on what Ghost Feeder was in the beginning and why you created it, would you say that the inspiration is just because you needed that outlet?
2: Yeah, I think so. Because I kind of gave up on trying to be in a band, but mm-hmm. I still knew I wanted to make music. I couldn't just not make music.
0: So what drove you to go with the style of music that is Ghost Feeder?
2: Honestly, I think the fact that I had to do it all on a computer was what drove me towards that genre, the way Ghost Feeder sounds. Because prior to starting Ghost Feeder, I'm a guitarist primarily, so mm-hmm. I was just wanted to be a rock band, and I knew that I couldn't make the kind of rock music I wanted to make on a computer, because the kind of big rock bands I like, you need to have live drums for. It just doesn't sound right. There's right. no way that that it sounds legitimate. So I knew that I was going to have to use a drum machine, so I figured, well, I'm using a drum machine. I might as well incorporate other electronic elements into it and kind of draw from a different pool of inspiration, whereas as a guitarist looking for bands, I was kind of inspired by Clutch and Down and Caius and all these big stoner rock bands. Once I started seriously putting music together for Ghost Feeder, I just had to draw from a different pool of influences like Peter Gabriel and Nine Inch Nails and my self-indulgence and all this kind of electronic music I haven't really been able to experiment with before.
0: And it was those artists that actually did what you were going to be doing, combined rock and electronic elements.
2: Right, yeah. I knew that I wasn't going to put the guitar down, so I needed to find a way to kind of combine them.
0: You mentioned Peter Gabriel and some others, and the next question that I posed to you was you had mentioned in a previous interview that Ghost Feeder, the name, is sort of in reference to Trent Reznor and Peter Gabriel. What do you mean by that? Well,
2: Nine Inch Nails released that Ghost double album, while Double Hodes, the instrumental track. And Peter Gabriel has a song where he mentions the word Ghost quite a bit in it. And it's not entirely true that it's an homage, but it also is kind of true. I came up with the name Ghost Feeder, but it was kind of around the same time that Ghosts, Came out the Nine Inch Nails release, so oh, I just I couldn't not acknowledge the fact that it kind of happened simultaneously, and I knew that if anybody asked, because the Nine Inch Nails influence is still apparent, they wouldn't believe me if I said it wasn't from that. So I just kind of had to say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of an homage to that because musically it is. So I'm okay with that.
0: There is some influence, and so there can be a connection made, whether it be direct or loosely.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's not a bad thing to have that homage happening. So
0: he's pretty genius in his musical creations. Let's go on to the other members. Luke, you are guitar man right, in the right live there. performance. Yep. This is the Craigslist ad, right? Correct. So you wanna give a little backstory to that?
3: Well, I think I joined first together, was it two years ago? Out of college. I done some music in college, then with two band, kinda never went anywhere, nothing really satisfied me. So I just really just one day just went Craig was bored. It was up there. And I just managed to respond to Derek's ad. And then he brought me down to audition. There were two other people I think who were supposed to compete with me and they didn't show up. Probably that was just his only resort. <laughs> 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 they needed a guitarist
0: and you were there. <laughs>
3: Yeah, we've sure. had to uh, go to... It's not really nice, I think. I mean, never hooked up with anyone else on Craigslist, so...
0: I was actually really <laughs> surprised when I read that story, because I don't know if it's maybe an, uh opposite coast situation, but I think most of the people I know are really afraid of Craigslist now. Yeah,
1: we
3: probably shouldn't be be, like, just promoting Craigslist.
0: <laughs> well, how about everyone else? Let's go over the names of the other band members and go into their backstory of how they became a part of Ghost Feeder. Okay.
2: Micah plays bass. I went to high school with Micah, so we've always kind of known each other. We had a lot of the same friends in high school and stuff. We used to hang out. I knew that he was into a lot of the same music as I was. He's a big Niner's Nails fan. He likes my self-indulgence. We have a lot of common ground musically. And once I decided that it might be fun to take these Ghost Feeder songs and try to play them live, he was the first person I thought of to play bass. I connected with him and he was interested and that's how he kind of got involved. Jeff, our drummer, he was with Micah in a band previously and Micah had just stayed in contact with them and then when uh, we were looking for a drummer he got a hold of him and Jeff tried out. He was great though. He's a man now.
0: So pretty much it may not have been a simple process but it wasn't an elaborate drawn out process would you say? You know it
2: wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. We tried out a lot of drummers prior to Jeff. We actually had a different guitarist before Luke too, so there was a little bit of shuffling around. But it was relatively painless just considering how quickly we somehow managed to get the right people together. We had one drummer try out who brought a brand new drum kit he had never played before. And he like puts on the headphones and he's listening to the click and it was not good. So it could have been very painful, but somehow we managed to find the right people quickly. I'm very grateful for that. It's a union made in heaven.
0: So, is anyone also working on other projects at the same time as working with Ghostfeeder?
2: Yeah, Micah's in a band called The Sound's Broken. He plays keyboards for them. But, um... No, I'm
0: retired.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the
3: thing that Derek likes to do is just sit at theater and just write music all day, so I kind of do that in my spare
0: time. And Jeff is or is not working with another project? Jeff is not, no. So primarily everyone's focused on performing Ghost Feeder, learning Ghost Feeder songs, performing with each other primarily. I want to know how Jen got involved. Jen was the one who contacted me. Jen, what do you do? I basically
1: manage the band. I handle their booking. I do a lot of social media. I talk to
2: uh, like different labels and magazines. And when Derek is not completely swamped with 3 music, I find fantastic to help me out of the meantime. She manages our merch table. That's cool. And she makes me dinner.
0: <laughs> that's very important. I came across a quote from the bios. The quote is, Ghost Feeder's music exemplifies the struggle between man and machine and often finds the line between the two blurring. What do you mean by that? Who wrote the quote?
2: I did. I think it's just a smarty pants way of saying that I make electronic music and I sing over it. I went to art school, so I had to write artist statements. Okay. And that's just how you're trained to talk up whatever you do with as many big words as possible. In all seriousness, though, I like that there's a t- tension in the music between the electronic stuff and how a person's voice will fit in there or maybe a person playing an acoustic guitar amidst all of this electronic stuff going on. So I like the tension between man and machine as far as that quote goes, but it's not Ghost Feeder's mission statement or anything like that. I think it's just the result of making music the way that I do. And I also hate computers. I'm often frustrated by computers. So I guess in that way it is man versus machine every time I sit down to write a song. I mean, I don't, I'm not anti-technology by any means, obviously, but there's just something about knowing how dependent I am on this machine that I have no idea how to fix. And it puts me on edge, especially when we're performing and I've got a laptop computer that's responsible for playing all of our sounds and all of our lights. Right. It's like little work. It always does.
0: But what if it doesn't and who do you get to fix it? Yeah, and
2: if it doesn't, I'm just sitting there with a microphone. And and I have to say, well, we can't play because our computer crashed. It's right. like, that's oh, not rock and roll. We'd probably find a way around it, but it wouldn't be pretty. Luke programs all of our lights, by the way.
0: Well, that's good to have that done in-house.
2: He's a Swiss Army knife, a talent. He yeah. also puts our website together. You got to talk more, Luke. You do a lot of stuff. I do everything.
3: <laughs> the lights is a big project just because it's really difficult together. Maybe because I just don't know what I'm doing. So we have a software that we think our lights up to our backing track. It's really about controlling our lights down to the milliseconds.
0: It makes a world of difference to the audience to have all of those different effects to make the actual performance whole. It
2: definitely does, and we're we're definitely all about trying to give people something they wouldn't expect from a local show. So that's why we have the lights, and we've got the production, and we really try to make everything as professional as possible because I know from the perspective of an audience member from time to time that somebody's up on stage and they don't look like they care or they don't look interested or they're not doing something that is at least a little bit exciting, I'm not excited either. If they're not looking interested, I'm not interested. We always try to make things as interesting and unexpected as possible as far as a local also kind of
3: helps to bring the audience into the show because they're getting lights flashing in their eyes, you know, and they're just kind of
2: forced to participate right, they have lights <laughs> stroking in their eyes, they're coughing on the yeah, <laughs> they're just having a terrible time, but they'll never forget it
0: right All right, let's talk about some of your influences and inspirations. I did mention in the question, as I had noticed in the previous interviews, that you listed Trent Reznor, Maynard James Keenan, uh, Michael Jackson, and Peter Gabriel, which I didn't realize I liked until I was an adult. I liked the music back then, but I didn't know who it was.
2: Yeah, it was kind of the same way. I didn't really get into them until a few years ago, and once I did, it just kind of opened up this whole back catalog of amazing stuff that I had missed out on because I wasn't born yet.
0: It's a completely different appreciation now.
2: Have you listened to Michael Jackson as an adult?
0: Um, no.
2: I think you should. Because all the music you loved as a kid is still just as good, and you will find new ways to enjoy it.
0: I probably will eventually go back.
2: There's no better time than
1: now.
0: Michael Jackson's music has very strong memories and connections for me, so there will Will be a time where I revisit it, but I don't think right now is the time. Well, when you're
2: ready, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I definitely, ready,
2: it'll be just as good. Sorry if I'm pressuring you. No, <laughs> no, no,
0: <laughs> not pressured at all.
2: I wouldn't force Michael Jackson or anybody,
0: <laughs> <Except>.
2: <laughs> open your heart to the king.
0: <laughs> so, you had mentioned something about not really listening to music other than video game music before uh-huh. a certain time.
2: Yeah, up until my mid-teens, I didn't really care about music at all, aside from the music that was in video games, because that was around me all the time. And whenever I heard a song on the radio, you know, it was always some station my mom was playing or something, and it was Michael Bolton, When a Man Loves a Woman or something. And <laughs> as like a 14-year-old kid, I'm like, I don't have anything to do with that. Right. So, yeah, there was, <laughs> it was a big nerd growing up, though, lots of video game music, until I started to kind of develop into an emotional adolescent, and then I was kind of listening to the radio on my own and found some stuff that I was into.
0: that question was going to what other genres of music are influential for you if there are other genres. I know that you Uh, had mentioned the rock metal influence.
2: Yeah I mean I'm a really big Clutch fan. Clutch is one of my favorite bands and as much as I love to play those kind of guitarists and stuff my influences are kind of at odds with each other from time to time. Once in a while I can sneak in a rock riff into a Ghost fear song, but it's kind of, I don't know, I guess Ghost Fear is where the two extremes of my influences meet. And I don't think that i really draw influence from anything terribly eclectic, like I don't listen to any world music or Anything really crazy I guess I just kind of Make the kind of music I want to listen to
0: So would you say You don't really listen To much else Leisurely When you're not drawing From influence actively
2: Well I mean I don't think I go out And look for influences I'll hear things Here and there That I like And there's there's rarely A song where I can't Appreciate something in it And if it's If someone's playing some Top 40 station or something, I can usually, even if it's a song I don't really like, I'll be like, oh, that's a cool snare sound, or that's a really cool synth bass line. So I'm always listening to things like that, and I suppose it does surface when I'm sitting down and writing things, but it's not a conscious occurrence, and I don't think that any of the influences that are apparent in Ghost Feeder are too surprising.
0: I actually think that Ghost Feeder is more rock than electronic when it comes to social accessory and the new ep hard times for dreamers i think they're very much more rock than now maybe i'm thinking the first one the last one
2: hard times for dreamers is definitely more rock and that was a conscious decision to kind of give it a little bit more of a live sound to kind of increase the, the energy and kind of influence the way it feels here's the thing though i feel like if i take the guitars out of all of my music nobody would say it's rock be like oh it's electronic but as soon as you introduce a guitar then people are like oh i don't know what to do with this i don't know what genre this is my music is all electronic until i record guitars and then it magically becomes something
0: else
3: (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna switch
2: the guitar (laughs) if you will
0: (laughs) what would you say are the things that you like most and least about the process of creating music
2: what i like the most That is tough because it's such a weird experience to make music. And there are so many aspects of it. Are you talking about writing music or performing or...
0: In any aspect. If you have a feeling about an aspect, you can address that.
2: I will say when it comes to writing, what I like the most is when a song comes together and I know where it's going to go and what it's going to be. The thing that's pretty frustrating about writing is typically I'll write songs in pieces. Like I'll find a thing that sounds cool to me and I'll be like, oh, this would be a cool verse. Now I have to find a chorus that goes with it. And that's the most challenging part of the puzzle for me is because I will write something I really, really like, but it's just a part of the song. And I'm like, oh, man, I have to write everything that goes with this and it's got to be as good as this, and I have to like it as much, and it's all got to go together, and that's kind of a difficult process, but when it does come together, it's really rewarding.
0: So putting Uh, the pieces together is just the frustrating part of it.
2: It can be. It's not always. There are some songs that come together pretty easily, but for every one that comes together easily, there's probably three that kind of bounce around for months and have all kinds of different incarnations before I finally start on what I want to be and what I think sounds that. And there are also plenty of songs on my computer that have not and probably will not ever see the light of day because I just was never satisfied with them completely.
0: Talking specifically about the lyrics, would you say that there are any songs that are really insightful to either to you or personally or artistically or special stories in them?
2: There definitely are. I kind of make it a point to not elaborate on this too much because whenever I read an interview with an artist or somebody who writes music and they start telling me what their songs are about, and kind is of colors the experience for me. So let's say every time I listen to that Deftone song now, I know, oh, this is about Gino's wife. I don't, I don't want to think that. I want to be able to kind of make my own interpretation. and right. it out. And honestly, there are times when I'm coming up with vocal melodies, I'll just kind of make up words as they go along. And sometimes those were thick, and they become part of the song. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're about something specific, but they work in context. And sometimes I'll kind of write lyrics around the lyrics that kind of sound good to me over the music. So the lyrics writing process is kind of convoluted kind of and it. it's never the same. I rarely know what a song is going to be about when I start it. And I guess it's fair to say the lyrics, like the rest of the music, is often a puzzle where I'll find pieces that I like and connect them to pieces that I like, but come up with later, and they kind of find a theme. That being said, there are also times when I know exactly what I want to say and that down. So it's kind of hard to talk about because I don't have a roadmap.
0: Well, that's actually for me a good enough exp- uh, explanation because that is giving insight to the writing of the lyrical content, the whole process in itself.
2: I don't mean that to imply that they're ever about nothing. They're all they're all about something, and usually something specific. The process that I use to uh, complete them is is always different and always kind of And
1: oftentimes,
2: in kind of a stream of consciousness way, I'll throw lyrics at a song and I will interpret it myself almost as if somebody else wrote it. And I kind of get the meaning that way. Long story short, I kind of emote my way through a song, and the lyrics kind of just fit in where they fit.
0: So, going from that, would you say that there is a process to creating an EP or album, however you want to call them, or do you just take the chunk of songs that you happen to create in a time frame and then put them together? Is there a concept to each to each release, or is it a collection of what the work has culminated at that time? It's
2: kind of both. If you're working on multiple songs at the same time. it's impossible for them not to be a little bit of a snapshot of where you are at that time in your life. So as a result, EP does have a little bit of a theme, but none of them were conscious decisions that I said, okay, this is how it's going to be. It just kind of happened and as I was writing them, I was like, This is how it is.
0: I think that actually really answers this whole last couple of questions, whether it just happens or if you sit down and you conceptualize something.
2: It can definitely be, be both ways. What you put together will have a theme whether you want it to or not. It's up to you whether you want to acknowledge. That or organize it in some way or just kind of ignore it.
0: So, would you say when new music is being developed that the process solely involves you, Derek, or is there now some influence from the other guys?
2: Thus far, it's been. Pre-exclusively me, there's been a couple songs that I've had spots that were giving me trouble with that I've, I've asked the guys for their advice and input on. In the future, I definitely want to involve more people here and there, because I don't think there's been an instance so far where I've collaborated with one of these guys and regretted it. For example, the plan on the last EP was to not use drum machines to record Jeff's live drums and fit those into the song to see what kind of energy that would bring us the song. It didn't quite work out, but the result was that I got a lot of insight into how Jeff thinks as a drummer, and maybe how drummers think in general. The result of that is the drums that I did program for the last EP were all based off of Jeff's beats and Jeff's fills. Okay. So it definitely has a livelier feel than the previous ones. Whereas I'm just kind of like, oh, drum fill, let's just hit the snare four times. Jeff will he will do something unexpected from my perspective.
0: So there is some influence on some level.
2: Yeah, definitely. So, And I definitely intend to keep that in mind with uh, with future future releases and future songs to kind of see for the drum's For example, I'll have Jeff listen to something and see what his take on a film might be. And I think that'll get me to look at something from a little bit of a different perspective. And I think that will probably be a good thing.
0: Going on with creating music, I had sent a question asking about samples do you use samples or do you think about using samples from other music from well a a very common thing right now is movies as
1: far as samples go
2: on one song i found a recording of a hydraulic lift and i sampled that and used it as part of the rhythm track and that's in just another animal and i think on the signal there's one song where i sampled a snare from a michael jackson song i think that's been the extent of my standpoint so i was
0: listening to the music and i think it was just another animal actually the end of that is that video game sound it sounds almost like like an old nintendo game like a i'm thinking of like an explosion or fire or something
2: oh oh oh, yeah i know what you're talking about (laughs) it's a um what is that it's a really distorted crash symbol i think
0: oh wow it sounds like a video game sound to me
2: (laughs) yeah if i remember right well i think there's I've degraded the sound in such a way so it sounds like it's coming from a very low-fi um, sound card. So it is—it okay. is essentially like a video game sound. But I okay. haven't sampled any video games for any of the music. I—I I just make it all myself using low-tech, kind of chippy sounding. Did
0: we—did we kind of touch the contrasting the EPs a little um, bit? You,
2: a little bit. We didn't. Uh, no. No. Not really the contrast. Not really.
0: So let's go ahead and do that because I notice there is a difference. And like I said, I can't really off the top of my head tell you, okay, this one sounds like this, this one sounds like that. I've listened to all of it through and through very many times, but the distinction just isn't made in my head when I listen to all of them back to back. Would you say that there is a contrasting between them? And if so, what would that be?
2: I would say... The first EP, The Signal, the most obvious contrast. So There are two, really, that come to mind. The first one is that I didn't know what I was doing. So a lot of the sounds that I got, I listen to now, and I don't, I don't really like it anymore. But also, it has the lowest production value. Again, because I didn't know what I was doing, and I went into the studio kind of not knowing how the mixing and mastering process went. So for that EP, I was not able to really break the songs down track by track like I lived, like I did with all the other EPs. So like we're kind of mastered the mix in a different way. Off the top of my head, that's what I noticed the most about that one. It might be easier if you tell me what you noticed, and then I can kind of comment on on that.
0: Well, I think the biggest distinction that I noticed involves the rock sound versus the electronic sound. The very first song that I listened to, which... I absolutely fell in love with and it actually kind of ties to one of the later questions so I'll just combine that Little Robot Boy was the first one I listened to the first one I played after I got the message from Jen and I played it immediately because there was something about it I really really love and I love that it was different sounding not only to a lot of the other songs but to what I was playing at the time and I really like doing that I like finding different things and pushing the limit of my show to include those things so would okay. you say that Maybe Social Accessory has a difference from the others on its own? It's
2: definitely the whiniest. It's the one where I'm feeling the most sorry for myself. So there is a little bit of a theme as far as that goes.
0: I really like that album, by the way. Or Thank EP, you. whatever you want to call it. The first EP
2: I put out, I didn't want to write anything too personal. Because in the bands I had been in in the past, I always wrote the lyrics. And I was just tired of being like, poor me, this is how sad I am. So
0: I actually really like The Watchers, too. I think that's probably my favorite off of The Signal. Thank
2: you. And um, I
0: think it has a lot to do with the sound that is used in it.
2: For the signal, I, I wanted to kind of uh, look outward instead of inward and be a little more socially conscious. Uh-huh. Um, so that's where songs like Entenement Generation and I Got and Everything Come From. More socially of a social
0: ca- statement, would you say?
2: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit. So when it came to Social Accessory, I was kind of like, okay, I did that. Now I'm going to get back to the personal stuff. So I looked back at myself again and wrote personal songs that I felt this way or that way about. At least the lyrics were a lot more internalized. And then for Hard Times for Dreamers, there's a theme that's running through that one. It's probably just disappointment in that we're kind of brought up our whole lives saying that if we work really hard and you're really talented, then your dreams will come true. But sometimes they don't. Often they don't So it's kind of The realization of that Like you can work Real hard your whole life And no matter how bad You want something You still might not get it
0: Let's talk about Your cover song I'm on fire Do you like Springsteen? Is there something About that song? What drove you To do your own version Of I'm on fire?
2: I'm not really a big Bruce Springsteen fan But I have always Really liked that song I had been wanting To cover something For some time And a friend of mine Performed that song One night on his guitar And I knew When I heard it I was like Oh the search is over I'm going to cover this song because a really simple song. It's very short. And one of the reasons why I hadn't covered something previously and why I haven't covered something since is because the way that I write and program music would take me just as long to do a cover as it would to do an original. It all has to be kind of programmed. It all has to be put on the computer. And I would want it to sound like Ghost Feeder. I wouldn't want it to sound like the original.
1: Right. Whereas
2: if you're a guitar player and you want to cover a song, you just, you play what the other person played it was the same night that i heard him play it i went home and i listened to the song and programmed it and it all came together really really quickly and i think that yeah that's the whole story of that cover really the short song i feel like the subject matter is not too crazy for what i had written so far it's kind of dark it's kind of personal you know and the way the song is written it already is so the original is so syncopated and so machine like that it already sounds kind of digital
0: Going from there, who develops the concepts for the videos? The
2: concept for the Island Fire video was done by me and a friend of mine named Rocco. I wanted him to shoot it for me because he has nice camera gear and he's, he's good with that kind of stuff. So we just kind of shot some ideas back and forth that would get me and some other people in the band involved. And that was kind of what we came up with. Originally, in that the brief scene of the bar, the other two guys in the band were going to show up as well. But there's some kind of scheduling conflict that we shot at the last minute or something didn't come to fruition, so... You guys didn't want me in there to look so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want Luke to steal my thunder. (laughs) I didn't want to make a star. So that's where that one came from. The concept for I'm Right Here, Mm -hmm. the version that that I have the video for, that's the only song, really, that was entirely written on an acoustic guitar. I typically, when I sit down to write a song, I'll start with a drum beat, or I'll start with a guitar riff, or I'll play around with a keyboard or something. But that was the only one that I've sat down and and kind of roll all the way through with an acoustic guitar. So I felt like I wanted to do a performance video of it with an acoustic guitar, but I didn't want to just have a camera on me, you know, in my room like every other YouTube performance video. Right. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just wanted to do something a little bit more.
0: I think it's a Um, beautiful video. Thank you. Just beautiful. And that's actually one of the reasons why I asked about it is because it did strike me, the concept and the visuals of the videos. I love them. Thank
2: you. I basically wanted to do one of those quote unquote, YouTube singing and playing guitar videos, but I didn't want it to be like all the other ones. So I just put a little bit more production into it. And I don't know, the result was something kind of interesting. So my job is done.
0: So I've noticed by the postings that Ghost Feeder Camp has been doing that you guys are pretty active in your local scene. Where else would you like to perform? It could be a realistic goal or it could be an outrageous goal or both.
2: We're going to shoot for the moon, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We want to play anywhere and everywhere I, I don't want to limit anything That we're going to do So I'm not going to say We don't want to do this Or don't want to do that We want to play important shows As many good places as possible And we want to tour And be successful So part of that is Playing as much as possible As many places as you can And making sure that you Reach out to people Including the moon Straight away here, Derek. Sorry, I am being <laughs> ridiculous. That's
0: crazy. <laughs> have you performed outside of the New York area?
2: We have a show March ninth in Pennsylvania, and that'll actually be our first out-of-state
1: show.
0: Talking about doing shows, how do you prepare for a show? And in saying that, I mean not checking gear or whatever. How do you personally prepare yourself or yourselves for a show?
2: Have you ever seen Rocky? Yes. It's exactly <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> Steps and all, or just down the hallway?
2: That's, we all fly to Philadelphia.
1: <laughs>
2: we go through Rocky's entire routine and we come back and then we get to see. <laughs> I go in the car and I have some scales on my iPod that I play on the radio and I warm my voice up. <laughs> so that's really the extent of my preparation, Luke.
3: And that's a trade you Don't give that away. Sorry. I don't do anything. To for a show, except for just trying to calm myself down.
1: okay. And it
3: worked. I used to get kind of like butterflies. I used to get butterflies or whatever. <laughs> but now, uh, I just kind of completely got over that, and it's just about, you know, making sure I'm focused, I know what I need to do and getting it done.
2: Yeah, it, it's, for me, it seems like the longer it takes for us to be on stage, the more nervous I get. The times that we go somewhere and play pretty quickly are less nerve-wracking for me, because I always get very nervous, regardless of who's there or anything like that, because I'm not the most socially adept person. Would you say that that's
0: just a self-critical point of view? No, it's
2: not a self-critical point of view. I'm bad with people. (laughs) (laughs) You realize you're the front
1: man of the rock.
0: (laughs) See, that's exactly why I asked this question is because it kind of leads into the second part of it is, do you have a personality that you kind of step into when you start to perform or is it you just walk up and say, hey, we're Ghost Feeder and you jam? I
2: think that when we, our first few shows, I was pretty withdrawn as far as the activity of our performance goes, and I was very nervous, so between songs, it was like this stand-up comedy routine where I would, like, be self-deprecating, and it it was a little, <laughs> a little strange. Since then, though, our performance has gotten a lot more energetic, and It's pretty much rapid fire song after song. I know that the people aren't really there to hear my worldview or really see me be awkward on stage.
0: Would you say you have to put on a different hat or it's just a matter of, oh, now I feel comfortable so I can open up a little?
2: I think that's more the case. It's a lot more fun now that I'm not as uncomfortable as I was before. And also it's part of the understanding that I'm there to put on a performance, so I don't want to be boring.
1: At the same time, I don't
2: want to be so over the top that people think I'm a weirdo. So you have to kind of walk the line between being outgoing and energetic and also humble and charismatic enough where people are going to have interest in you but not be like afraid of you
1: right and approachable you
0: i was really wondering if you step on stage and it's you putting yourself into a character or you withdrawing and letting just uh the music flow
2: i think it's more the latter it's not really a character it's just kind of a, uh, a hyperbole of who i really am but we're very approachable we don't really disappear after we're done playing and we go and hang out at the table and talk to people and find things and, and I think that goes a long way too because if you see a band and you're really impressed by them and then you go and talk to them and they're all jerks it's like yeah. oh maybe I don't like this
0: yeah no. exactly
2: but as an artist it's important to respect the fact that people are there to see you and it's a humbling thing to have people pay money to come and see you so you should treat them with respect I agree I hate everyone okay <laughs> well, me and like uh, Mike, uh, player have kind of a
3: different role than like Derek does, but it's kind of a similar thing. We've been trying to like push ourselves to really be active and try to engage the crowd, but the only thing holding us back is kind of having to technically perform, you know, notes <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so, um, but over the past, you know, year or so, we've gotten really, really comfortable. It makes it a lot easier for us to, because all of the music just becomes second nature, and then you can start focusing on like branching out and be
0: more interesting and not just a zombie well you start to gain the experience and develop as a performer as a musician as an artist and as a person who is now being seen as someone that's in the spotlight this next question kind of goes back to when we were talking about the contrasting of EPs are there any songs that have reached a point for you Derek specifically or anybody in the band that it's just I don't want to perform these anymore Or you're at the level of, I don't want to hear this song anymore because it's either played out or the meaning has changed. Well, not really changed for you, but you're at a different place than where you were.
2: Yes and no. Sometimes the song will fall out of favor and it just won't feel good to play anymore. So we won't play it for a while and then we'll throw it in the set again and suddenly it feels new and feels great to play again. So there is a little bit of a cycle there as far as the boredom with playing the same songs over and over again goes. We performed The Watchers once live And we were never really happy with the way we were able to translate the song to live performance So that never happened again And it may never happen again ever
1: (laughs) Okay.
2: But thus far for me personally There aren't any songs that I'm entirely sick of But there are songs that are more challenging than others in their own way Little Robot Boy is tough because we've got guitar switches in it And a low energy song so I have to be very conscious of whether or not I'm in key Not that I'm not always But it's <laughs> something like that So every song has its own challenges And at this point I think we've got a set That we play pretty consistently Of our, uh, our upbeat, high energy stuff And so far people have been responding really well to it So I don't think we're going to tinker too much With what we are currently playing But that being said, Luke might have an entirely different, <laughs> entirely different idea
3: No, I agree I- I'd rather just keep on piling on the, uh, the high energy stuff um, we kind of have, like, a power set going right now. Yeah. With all of our, without any real, like, blowing, going down much. Yeah. But, I mean, our live show isn't very timid either, so I feel like it's a good place to start. If, you know, move the band in that direction, maybe.
2: Yeah. I mean, I like my slow songs just as much as my high-energy songs which is why I write plenty of slow songs. But as far as where we are currently in our career, I feel like it's really important to show people our energy and get out there and be larger than life. And then once you kind of carve a spot out doing that, and you kind of get fans that way, then they're going to be more patient with you if you slow it down for a few songs and a little more experimental with the sound. But currently, we're playing every time to people who have never seen us play before.
0: Okay, so, so you're really, it, it's a fresh exposure to those audiences. Yeah, yeah, I
2: feel like if I want to expose somebody for the first time to Ghost Theater, I want to give them our high energy punch in the face, this is, this is who we are stuff. And they will look into our stuff and I'll find some of our other stuff, our quieter songs or more mellow songs. And those are things we can kind of pepper in the set here and there once the people are kind of there to appreciate them.
0: So I have one more official question. Okay. And it really is directed to you, Derek. If you could choose three words to describe your time here in Southern California, when you lived out here, what would they be and why?
2: My three words would be love and hate because I live in Los Angeles and L.A. is everything you can imagine all at once, all at the same time. So whenever I meet anybody else who lived out there or lives there and they're like, oh man, I love L.A. I'm like, yeah, I know, me too. And then I meet somebody else, they're like, oh, man, I hate L.A. I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. So <laughs>
1: just kind
2: of, there's so much good about it and there's so much bad about it that you just have to be a very specific kind of person to be at peace in a place like that. I really loved the buzz of everything that was going on. I liked knowing that you know, movies were being shot around me mm-hmm. and music videos and all that great stuff was going on all the time. And I liked the buzz about that and
1: the potential that
2: I could be included in some of it. But at the same time, it's hard to keep that mindset when I'm on my second hour trying to find a place to park, <laughs> and, and it's 9,000 degrees. So,
0: so you actually lived in the city part of L.A., not any uh, outer L.A. area.
2: No, I lived in the, I lived in the valley. I lived oh, in okay. The valley.
0: So you so, did live on the other side of L.A. then.
2: But I remember when I was in L.A., I was just thinking, I don't know how to be comfortable in this environment. I knew I was excited by it, and I was envious of the people that were born and raised there because I was like, these people are so comfortable in this nonstop crazy town, and I wish that I was that comfortable so that I could more easily kind of take advantage of everything that was around me. Unfortunately, it just wasn't, I just never felt comfortable there. Very different, very different than what I was used to. Um, I'm used to living in the kind of place where if you need to park, you... Over on the side of the road, and you're parked. Suddenly, I have no way to do that. I don't know how to get where I'm going. Everything looks the same. Mm -hmm. I remember driving down a one-way street in downtown L. A. The wrong way. Uh, A wall of cars coming at me. Everybody beeping. And miraculously, there was a parking lot that I was able to kind of zip into before I caused some kind of terrible damage. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm looking up in there's palm trees, and it's sunny, and I'm like, it's just a lot of contrast of stuff.
0: All right, so is there anything else that anybody would like to add?
2: Well, if anybody wants to check us out, they can find us online at ghostfeeder.com. They can find us on Facebook and Reverb Nation and SoundCloud and Twitter and pretty much anywhere you might think to look for it, even on MySpace. But uh, if you go to our website, you can find
1: CDs
2: and USB drives with our music on it. T-shirts, all kinds of stuff, so oh, check it out. Please like us on Facebook, because that means everything these days.
0: Say hello to the other guys for me, and I certainly hope that we can have another conversation in the future.
2: Sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah,
0: thank sure. you. Thank you so much, Jen, for sending the message. I apologize, it did take two months to get back to you, but that's oh, the nature of Facebook these days.
2: I was say, thank you for playing, you know, so much for the on your show. It's,
0: like, super appreciated. I always tell everyone... Whether it is someone that I've had a guest on the show or just ev- anyone listening, I only play what I like. I actually have turned down requests and I love the music. So when I love it, I'm 100% behind it.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you. Keep listening. We've got, uh, we're always working on new stuff. So there's always more to come.
0: And that's what I'll be waiting for. Great. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
2: Bye.